Broadcasting live to the world now. It's Sheila Zielinski. Sheila Zielinski Show, the only show to give you the truth behind the headlines, prophecy, and the deeper things of God. Now, here is your host, End Time Watchwoman, Sheila Zielinski. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Sheila Zielinski Show for this Wednesday, September 30th. That's right, the last day of September in 2015. What a hair-raising month indeed. So much going on. I just want to let people know that I broadcast Monday to Friday. That's weekdays, 6 p.m. Eastern Time in stereo sound at weekendvigilante.com and on WWCR and WINB Saturday night show at 11 p.m. Eastern Time. That's Saturday night and you can get the information there on the radio archives tab on my website and I would like to extend a warm welcome to all the new listeners who are tuning in from around the globe welcome to the show it is so great to have you tuning in if you have not picked up a copy of green gospel the new world religion my book please do so by going to greengospel.ca a very timely book and it's a really important book please do get it and let me know how you like the book if you have picked up a copy And if you wouldn't mind stopping by Amazon.com and filling out a review, I would very much appreciate it. A small change to this week's schedule. I want to let everyone know that Augusto Perez joins me tomorrow. And Friday, I'm going to have Steven Anderson back on the show. That's going to be a good show. We had a glitch yesterday. Very disappointing, but it's going to be a terrific show Friday. And Paul McGuire is bumped to next week. That's going to be great as well. Next week, also, I'll have Patrick Wood, Jim Mars, and a whole host of other incredible guests, including my good pal Dave Hodges. So it's going to be a fantastic week. So you want to stay tuned for that. Now, speaking of amazing guests, my guest today is the one and only Dr. Danny Morano, the bold and courageous apostolic minister of the gospel, who is one of the few that refuses to compromise. You can check out his handiwork at godisnotreligious.net. Check out his resources. He's written some amazing books. Danny Morano, welcome back to the show. It is so good to have you back on the program. Well, thank you very much, Sheila. Always excited to be with you. And uh, we always have a great time. Absolutely. There's a lot going on, Danny. There's a real coalescence, a convergence, a culmination. There you go. Today's show brought to you by the letter C. (laughs) Just this week, we had the last blood moon of the Tetrad. The Pope was here. Things are really brewing in the Middle East, brewing with Russia, Syria. Bible prophecy is unfolding before our eyes while we're all distracted with news, views, and headlines. And we really ought to be more focused on what the Holy Spirit not only did on the day of Pentecost, but what's he doing right now. That's really where we need to keep our focus on. Yes, even when... They're throwing the kitchen sink at us. We have a complete outline for normal Christianity. 
What does normal Christianity look like? It looks like a book that's in the Bible, the book of Acts. That's really our field manual for Christian living, isn't it, Dr. Morano? Absolutely. It sure is. I mean, again, like as I always stress, you know, I, I don't like to make a mythology out of it, Sheila, because a lot of times, you know, I've talked about, I actually wrote in my one book, The American Dream, I had a chapter called Romanticizing the Past. So we can get into that and we can romanticize the Acts Church. And that's not the point of looking to, to the Acts Church as the model. The fact of the matter is, is the Acts Church was very human. Okay, and we read about many conflicts and confrontations and stumbling blocks and different things that occur in the Acts Church, uh, even amongst the apostles themselves. There, there were debates and conflicts, uh, you know, between the apostles themselves over issues, and uh, you know, and as well the whole shift coming out of Judaism and out of the world of Israel, where the covenants were primarily or completely for the physical seed of Israel. And then through Christ, the gospel went to the Gentiles, you know, and then when Paul and, and the others started to go and take it to the Gentiles, that created a whole controversy within the first church. Uh, we also read of false teachers and false prophets who started to try to creep into both sides of the church, okay, on the on the Jewish side, you had the, the uh, you know, the circumcisers, the Judaizers who wanted to come in and bring the people back under the law. And they brought in a lot of false teaching and bondage and stuff like that. And on the Greek side or um, the uh, Gentile side of the coin, you had, you know, the mixture with the old Greek philosophy and, and Gnosticism and, and other pagan temple cult influences and different things. So, you know, the first church had to deal with all those things and they were very human and they were not that experienced. You know, uh, they were not schooled in how to lead the church. This happened uh, through trial and error, except the big difference that I see when I look at the book of Acts in comparison to where we are today, is that the book in the book of Acts, the apostles started off with the right blueprint from Christ. And, you know, the book of Acts opens up in chapter one and chapter two with the most important part of that blueprint. And that was Christ's emphasis upon his leaving the earth. OK, he had already prepped them, as we see in the Gospel of John chapters 14 through 16, he already prepped them that upon his leaving, he was going to send another person of the Godhead, the Holy Spirit, and that this person, the Holy Spirit, was not just going to be with them, but he was going to reside within them supernaturally. And he was going to lead them on into all truth, and he was going to bring to remembrance the things Christ had already taught them. And he was going to continue to teach them what Christ had yet to teach them. And that's what we see beginning to unfold in the book of Acts. But they were obedient when Christ told them in Acts chapter 1 to go back to where they had had their, you know, we, we were, uh, refer to it as the Last Supper, where they had their final night with the Lord before he was, you know, given up to be put on trial and crucified. And they went back and they waited upon the promise of the Father. They waited upon what Jesus said was coming and what John the Baptist had prophesied. 
that they would receive the baptism of fire from Christ. And Christ sent that baptism of fire down uh, upon them on, of course, we know on the, the Feast of Pentecost, in the time of Pentecost, that Jewish Feast of Pentecost in that time, the Holy Spirit descended upon the 120 and they were all filled in the Holy Spirit and received the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit, into their beings with supernatural manifestation of this member of the Godhead having taken up resonance within them. Okay, they spoke in tongues, they prophesied, and the miraculous began to occur. And the power of God went forth. And the apostles and the other believers were all of a sudden uh, em empowered and emboldened. They had a boldness and a courage that they didn't have before. I mean, Peter's the greatest example, right? We know how he cowered uh, upon the, you know, the situation when Jesus was taken captive. He denied him three times and, and all that kind of stuff. But then when he receives the Holy Spirit, if we look in Acts chapter 2, the boldness that this man stands up in and the revelation that comes through him and the, you know, the reaction of the people to that anointing that flows through Peter and through the demonstration of the other believers moving in already in the gifts of the Holy Spirit, uh, 3,000 souls were one in one day and the people were pricked to their hearts and convicted they cried out to peter and the other apostles asking them what do we have to do to uh come back into right standing with god what do we have to do to receive the kingdom so the conviction of the holy spirit was so powerful because these vessels were completely yielded to him without any type of you know uh, institutional structure, any type of ecclesiastical hierarchy or clergy or any of this crazy business that we have going on in the church today, which started, you know, uh, decades and centuries later after the, the original church started. But that's what they had. And, and I love that, you know, even in the midst of those conflicts and controversies and stuff, the apostles would say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and thus, upon much prayer, the Holy Spirit revealed to us. They had the key that they had to go before God and the, and they were hearing the voice of that person that Christ had sent the Holy Spirit to come and live inside them. And they were dependent upon that. They did not set up structures, hierarchies, organizations, institutions, what we have come to know to be churches. Okay. It was a natural outgrowth of their own relationship with the Holy Spirit and listening to him and following him and letting him teach them how to operate uh, in the ministry of Christ. So, you know, that's, that's, that's the big difference between the Acts Church and, uh, you know, the church that we have today. And, and I think that that's a big stumbling block for Christians because, you know, in, we, we, like I say, we mythologize the book of Acts. We mythologized the apostles. And I mean, a lot of that has come from our friend who came over here, you know, just a couple of days ago. You see, I mean, he came over here and the first saint was sainted 
on the ground of the United States. For the first time in the United States, there was a saint who was canonized. We know from the scripture that we are all saints. We are the priesthood of believers, okay, that there is no hierarchy in the body of Christ. And as I've taught on your program before, you know, even those that we would term leaders, I refer to them as servant love functions, you know, operating according to Christ's golden rule, which was he who wants to be the greatest among you, let him be the servant of all. Now this, you know, masquerader, this wolf in sheep's clothing, he comes over with a false humility. And that's all that the, the, the press was talking about. I was, you know, I tried to watch it for about 10 minutes, but you know, I had to keep pulling out my airplane barf bag because <laughs> so much of this. Oh, and he's so humble and the humility he walks in. And I'm like, what is your definition of humility? That someone puts on a, a happy smile or a sullen face or has a certain gait that they walk in, a certain cadence that they have that makes them humble. I'll tell you what humility is. It's when people bow down and kiss your feet and your hand. Yes, yes. Yes, exactly. As a politician, we always have to find a baby to kiss. But, you know, that shows you the level that that religion is on. It's really not. And you see through that this whole charade that went on, this whole circus that went on, it was all mixed together with politics. It was all part of the world. And this is not what we see in the book of Acts. And this is another aspect that we see that the apostles and the first church of the book of Acts turned their world upside down, not because they were complicit in trying to help the world fix itself. They didn't join forces with the world. They didn't uh, create an institution that had to be uh, sanctioned by the world and ordained by the world. And the, the apostles didn't go to the Roman emperor or even to the Jewish high priest who had crucified Christ and have these people ordain them and give them permission to operate as the Christian church, as a vassal of the state. None of this is present in the book of Acts. In fact, this was a persecuted sect that was, you know, spoken about in very cynical ways. But on the other side, what I love in the book of Acts, it says that the people feared them because the real power of God and the real authority of Christ was coming through the believers. I mean, we have the perfect example. The last program that I did on, on my show, I talked about Ananias and Sapphira. They were the first, you know, kind of false prosperity crooks who tried to con God and look like they were such givers when they were really, you know, looking to, to make a name for themselves and steal. All right. And God struck these people dead through Peter's pronouncement. The husband and the wife were both struck dead, and there was a fear that was on the unbeliever. So even though the unbeliever did not necessarily embrace this way, the way it was referred to in the book of Acts, the, the way, okay, Christianity, even though they didn't embrace that, if they didn't embrace it, they stood clear of it. They didn't try to get in there and mess around with it because they saw as the scripture says in Hebrews, behold the goodness and the severity of God. 
And that was present in the Acts Church. The goodness, okay, the compassion of Christ shown in the miraculous healings, the deliverance from evil powers, the wonderful social and welfare program that was going forth from the apostles and from the church where they were meeting the needs of the poor. And that's another beautiful aspect that we see in the book of Acts, that because the Holy Spirit was in control and he was truly drawing people through conviction to conversion, and, and these people were really receiving the Holy Spirit and repenting of their sins and coming out of the world system and totally devoting themselves to the kingdom of God, they received a generous, a truly generous and compassionate heart. And they went and sold lands and, and sold possessions and different things in order to uh, liquidate that cash, so to speak, and give it to the servant love functions, the apostles, so that they could make sure, now listen good, they could make sure that the poor we're taken care of. Okay, so let's juxtapose that against, you know, ex-cathedral coming over here last week. He's running around, you know, talking about taking care of the poor, you know, don't pollute the skies and all this other nonsense that he's in. Meanwhile, he is sitting on trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars. That is a well-known fact. The Roman Catholic Church is the most wicked and conspiratorially and secretly wealthy organization on the planet. It's a fact that celibacy is based upon economics. Did you know that? The reason why celibacy was enforced by the Roman Catholic Church on a practical socioeconomic level is they didn't want the priest to be married and have families because when they die, then their possessions would go to their families. They wanted everything to come back to the church. And the Roman Catholic Church throughout all the Middle Ages, throughout the whole common era, okay, only up until the last couple hundred years has it slowed down or gone underground, okay? But the fact is that they owned all the land. They were feudal lords. The Roman Catholic Church is the largest feudal lord in the history of the world. Yes. They owned all the land, gold and silver, so on and so forth. Okay. So he comes over here. And of course, I mean, he goes to the big rich church, St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City, where all the rich people come and pretend they know who Christ is and they give their money. And he goes to Washington, D.C. He goes to the United Nations of Demonic Conspiracy. He made the rounds, okay, to push his agenda. But the bottom line is that is the antithesis. Even though the words are spoken about the poor and the refugees, would we have these poor? Would we have these refugees? This destitution that we see in these parts of the world, if the church, so to speak, was doing what the church of the book of Acts was doing. When they received from the people who were moved upon by God to give their substance, they did the job of the welfare system, basically, okay? Yeah. But today, we have the counterfeit church raking in millions upon millions, probably billions, every Sunday at least, okay? Just on Sunday, 
the counterfeit church system, I'm not just talking about the Roman Catholic Church now, I'm talking about the Protestant churches and all their spin-offs, you know, all the contemporary churches, the denominational churches, okay, raking in all this money, and yet the government is falling under the weight and the pressure of having to try to take care of needy families and poor people. You know, that's just in the United States. And in the other parts of the world, I mean, look at the disasters, the countries that these people have come from, okay, that most Christians are all up in arms about. And, of course, there's a, there, there is a Muslim conspiracy. We know that. We know there's an agenda. But on the other side, I also espouse something very ugly in supposed Christian people, you know, especially, you know, WASP-type Christian people who are having their world changed. Well, you know what? They decided to stop having children. They decided to kill their own children. And now th these other poor nations, many of them are under Muhammad's heresy, are, you know, exploding over their borders because they did not stop having children. Their religion didn't tell them. See, the religion of, of self-centered capitalism, okay, told the West, to stop having children, to kill their children off, and so on. But Islam and, and other nations and other religions did not tell their people to do that, and they kept procreating. So now the world is becoming brown. That's a fact. And now the white people are freaking out because they're saying, we're going to be overrun. Well, you decided to drive yourself into extinction through self-centered suicide, cultural suicide. Yeah. So now we have the pontiff running around talking about poverty and solving it, but it's all empty words and it's all hypocrisy. Whereas what we had in the Acts Church was the, exactly the opposite. You didn't see Peter, okay, who supposedly was the first pope, right? The first pope was not at Emperor Nero's throne making arrangements on how to take care of the poor through the vehicle of the government of Rome. He wasn't even up at the Jewish high priest, the vassal of the state of Rome, trying to work out a political agenda and get laws passed so that the government could better take care of the poor. No, the church itself was taking care of the poor, okay? Its own poor, but I believe even beyond that. And even the, uh, the situation that called for appointing Stephen and the others, the seven, to, to run the table of distribution to the poor. This was for Greek-speaking Jews that came from another province. So this was beyond what was normally going on for the care of the poor. So the church was very involved in that. And it didn't look to the state, depend on the state, to take care of these things and therefore make themselves servants of the state and needed to be ordained by the state and donned by the state to carry out the state's aims and goals. I totally agree. And, and you're right. And as I always say, Danny, I mean, if the Pope is so concerned about wealth redistribution and anti-capitalist socialism and Marxism that he promulgates, I mean, if he's so concerned with poverty, why doesn't he start hawking off the 
Vatican properties. You talk about filthy lucre, and the world is in love with this devil. The world loves him, not just the 1.2 billion Catholics duped by this huckster. And what does the Bible say about friendship with the world? You know, when Sir Elton John says the Pope is his favorite guy, well, that should tell us something, shouldn't it? But here's the bottom line. The key feature of the book of Acts is as Luke, the writer of this book, records how believers were empowered by what? The main central theme here is empowered by the Holy Spirit, working to spread the gospel of Christ. And it really was a model for the future church, a perfect model for the future church. And it breaks my heart, Danny, that it's crickets chirping across the pulpits on the Holy Spirit. I never hear any program, with the exception really of you, myself, and Torben Sondergaard from the last Reformation, that's really disturbing to me that the very thing that empowers us, no one's talking about. Well, the problem is, is there's a conflict with the true Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the Lord. That's the problem. See, if the Holy Spirit was, you know, kind of the the water boy that, that you know, <laughs> modern charismatics try to make him out to be, to run around behind us doing signs and miracles so we can collect even bigger offerings. If he was really that, then there would be a lot more comfort with the Holy Spirit. But because the Holy Spirit is the Lord, okay, and I don't think people really grasp this. When I say that, it's no difference than me saying the Father is the Lord. Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of Man, is the Lord. The Holy Spirit is the Lord, and he will rule and reign. He is a righteous, loving dictator. Okay, he is. He is the head of the church, representing Christ on the earth. Yes. And that's the problem, because if I want to ultimately stay in control, all right, and I don't really want to yield control, I want what God can give me. I want God to serve me. I want him to give me uh, success. And this is, this is the message of the contemporary church today. I mean, we've got a bunch of money-loving churches and clergy. That's the whole culture in the modern church, the postmodern church. It's a greed-driven culture, and it's a self-centered culture. It's all about me. Well, there's a problem then when it comes to the Holy Spirit. And the reason, and this is what a lot of people don't get, they keep crying out, you know, we got to have revival, uh, we got to be filled in the spirit, the people that are interested in that, okay? But what they don't understand is the power that we see in the book of Acts comes because these vessels, these human beings surrendered themselves to the Holy Spirit's lordship. They were totally submitted to the Holy Spirit. They surrendered their worldly ambitions. They surrendered their carnal desires. They surrendered their desire to be exalted amongst their peers for their knowledge, for their wealth, for their notoriety. Okay? And they became nobodies in the eyes of the world. And it was because they were willing to do that that the Holy Spirit showed up in such great power. Well, who else did that? Who gave us the first example of that? Our Lord himself. The scripture says he emptied himself, even from a heavenly perspective, being equal with, with God. 
He thought it not robbery to let that down and come and take the form of humanity and walk as a poor man on the earth. And because of that, the Holy Spirit filled Jesus Christ of Nazareth without measure. And he went about doing many, many mighty miracles and signs and wonders. Okay, well, the apostles and the first believers followed in suit to what Christ had done. And they lived that same way. And that's why the Holy Spirit came with such power. And that's why the apostles walked in authority. This is another thing too, Sheila. You know, you can't speak in authority if you're compromising with the person you're going to speak with authority to. And this is the problem also with, with if you want to have the Holy Spirit in complete control. The Holy Spirit is going to tell you to part from the ways of the world. The Holy Spirit is going to tell you to be 100% sold out and devoted to the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ alone, not to get mixed up in politics, not to worship money and luxury and pleasure and all these other things and mix Christ in there as well. Holy Spirit's not backing that up. So this is why these people will not let go. They don't want God to ultimately be in control. They want God in their lives to bless them, to provide for them, to protect them, and here's the, the big one, to prosper them, okay? But they don't want God to command them. They therefore do not want the Holy Spirit in control. They don't want to surrender control. And that's why the clergy, who is the, supposed to be the model of Christ's will in the supposed church, uh, most of them are not baptized in the Holy Spirit. Why? Because they're still trusting in their own intellect. They're still trusting in their own human charisma. They're still trusting in what they built for God. They build churches for God. They build denominations for God. They build religious institutions for God, organizations for God. And they are, are feeding off of that ego trip. And if they really want the Holy Spirit to be in control, they have to surrender that ego trip. And they're not willing to do that. And here's the second thing, and even more important. When they surrender to the Holy Spirit, there's no more room for manipulation. There's no more room for coercion. The Holy Spirit's going to come in. He's going to admonish. He's going to correct He's going to dig up all those false teachings and doctrines and have them done away with that have been used to manipulate and coerce the people and keep the people under their control. And the people have to come to them as mediators in order to get to God. They can't stay one up on the people because when the Holy Spirit's in the game, it's a level playing field. And this is the problem. You know, people want to bottle the Holy Spirit. These Pentecostal and charismatic leaders, many of them, they want to bottle the Holy Spirit. And they take the cap off when they're ready and pour some out and put the cap back on. Because when it comes time to rule and reign, they want to be in control again. And that's that same Judaic spirit, that Judaizing spirit that manifested in the church in the first church. And we read about that in the book of Acts.
where the Holy Spirit, after the Holy Spirit poured out so generously and compassionately on the people, and this type of model that I'm talking about right now, of an equal playing field where all were filled in the Spirit, all had a direct relationship with Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, all were learning from the Scriptures, all were ministering. That started to be quenched when these Judaizers, planted by Satan inside the body of Christ, started to, to bring up the law again. They had to get something to bring the people under their rule, under their control, you see? And therefore, the Holy Spirit gets quenched. And that's what we have today in the church. Either you have that spirit of circumcision or you have the other side, okay, that Gnostic spirit of we're not preaching the true gospel. We've mixed in so much worldliness, so much spiritism and, and false pagan spirituality into what we're calling the gospel that the Holy Spirit is repelled by it. It repulses him, and he withdraws. And people are receiving false spirits, demon spirits. Okay, they're being led by seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, not by the word of God and the Holy Spirit. And this is why they fear man. See, fear of man and Holy Spirit possession cannot coexist. Let me repeat that. Fear of man and Holy Spirit possession cannot coexist. Notice what happens in the, in the book of Acts chapter 2, chapter 4. Whenever the Holy Spirit comes and infills the believers, takes up residence in them, overflows them, infills them, they are filled with boldness and courage to go out and confront the false church in their day, that was the Judaic system, okay, the apostate Judaism that continued to operate in spite of Christ's sacrifice after the fact. They were emboldened to go and confront it. They're emboldened to go out and do the works of Christ. They healed the lame man. What happens when the lame man's healed? Of course, they're persecuted for it. They're beaten for it. They're jailed for it. But they're not afraid. And when they were brought before the council and the council forbids them to preach in the name of Jesus and to do these things, they tell them, you judge it, whether we should fear God and obey him or fear you, man, and obey you. Well, we will fear God. See, that's the difference. The problem is when I'm all wrapped up in Republican politics, religious right, conservatism, patriotism, uh, backing up the physical Israel, all these fleshly things, then I am joined to the fear of man. I'm fearing man. I'm currying for favor with man. I want the government to back me up. I want my other church affiliations to back me up. I want to please the people. I want the people to keep coming every Sunday and tithing and offering and supporting my programs as a pastor, as, a, as leadership in the counterfeit church. So I'm not willing to give that all up. I have to, I, I'm, I've chosen to fear man. As Jesus said to the Pharisees, you fear man. Instead of fearing God, you fear man. And you teach for the commandments of God, the traditions of men. And therefore, you are not knowing the scriptures. 
And this is what we have in our culture today. These spiritual leaders and the people out there in the pews in the congregation are man-fearers, man-pleasers. All that matters today is, I mean, all I hear, I turned, the, I turned on the, the Fox News for a few minutes. All I hear is the, a four-letter word. It's not what you're thinking. The four-letter word that I hear is P-O-L-L, poll, poll. Everything's determined by a poll. You know, the polls are saying, the polls are saying the people are leaning this way. The polls are saying the people believe this. Okay, as a politician now, I'm going to try to adjust my message, adjust even my persona, go through transformations in my persona to appeal to what the polls are telling me the people want to see and the pundits want to see, right? Well, the Pope does the same thing because he's the greatest politician. He's, he's kowtowing to all these different agendas. Why? Because it's about having the people stay under the umbrella of Roman Catholicism. And our evangelical leaders do the same thing because most of them, their true God is money. And the only way to keep the money coming in is to please the people. If the people get pissed off at me and they don't like what I'm saying and they don't like what I'm telling them, they the kind of life that they have to live, and I'm pushing the spiritual world on them when all they're interested in is all the riches of the natural world. Now, if I come with the spiritual world like a magician, like a sorcerer, and say, listen, like Simon the Sorcerer in the book of Acts, you can use the power of the Holy Spirit and it can give you power over people. It can give you influence with people. It'll keep you healthy and it'll bring you wealth and riches and, and you'll be famous and you'll have a successful life. Okay, the people like that message because even though I'm saying the source for this power is spiritual, the ultimate goal is fleshly. Just like in witchcraft, I'm going to use connecting into the spiritual world to give me the things that I want from the natural world. That's fine. But if I say to them, listen, it's not about this world at all. And anyone who will live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We must know this, that through much tribulation, we will enter the kingdom of God. Are you willing to suffer? Are you willing even to, to have your physical life snuffed out if necessary? To preach the gospel, even to people who are your enemies. Yes, Muslims who come across a border, who you are suspicious might have bombs strapped to them. Are you willing to preach the love of Christ to that person? Or does that only take place in your little subculture of the counterfeit church in a building on Sundays where it's all about you and rolling your dice with your 10% or you're sowing your seed offering, your, har your harvest that you're sowing to get back the hundredfold return? Is it still all about you or is it about Christ and is it about others? And that's the difference. See, the Holy Spirit backs up that message. And if you want the Holy Spirit, that kind of power and that kind of authority, when you speak that the kingdom of God backs you up and people's lives are affected, then you have to lay it down. But see, if you're still in love with the world, ultimately, 
If you're still ruled by the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes and the pride of life, if you're still friendly with the world, thinking you're God's friend, you can sing that stupid song all you want. Uh, what is that song? God is my friend or something that they've been singing for the last few years in the counterfeit church. God is my friend. God. Well, God is not your friend if you love the world. I hate to break it to you. God is your enemy if you love the world. But they have bought a package. They've been sold a bag of goods telling them that they can be friends of the world and still be God's friend. Well, that's an outright lie out of the pit. That is not possible. And the Acts Church would have never tolerated such a message. They would have never preached, definitely not preached such a message. If anyone had come across with that kind of message, they would have been labeled a heretic and told to leave the church or repent. But today we've got a whole, you know, church culture based on self, based on the love of this world, the pleasures of this world, the luxuries of this world, the love of money, of wealth, of your best life now. This is not of God. And this was not in the book of Acts. And you'll see when it was when it attempted to come into the Acts church, because these vessels were yielded to such a degree like Peter, the judgment of God came right through, boom, and snuffed it right out. Peter turned around to that magician, that, that would-be prosperity preacher, Simon the Magician. And he said, you go to hell with your money. How dare you try to buy the power of the Holy Ghost by offering me a seed harvest offering so that you can have the power of the Holy Ghost so you can continue to bewitch the people except under the name of the true God. You get away from me. This is the reigning mentality. This is the reigning ethos in the subculture of the counterfeit church is that this is okay. And then we want the, we want the Holy Spirit to come and visit us. And why do we need the Holy Spirit to come and visit us, Sheila? Because most of us have not even obeyed Christ in the first command of having the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us through the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Well, and take it one step further. You said God is our friend. God is our friend. Jesus is our friend. They sing these songs. But what did Jesus actually say to them in Matthew 12? He answered and said unto them, Who is my mother and who are my brethren? Well, he points that out. And I hate to break this to people, Danny, but people talk about, oh, Trump is on the same page as me. He's on the same issues. I'm sorry, folks, but this is the same right and left side of the same ugly bird of the world system. It doesn't matter, Danny, who gets elected or where they stand on an issue. They're not going to save you. They're not going to save the country, the economy. It's the same puppets who work for the same evil puppet masters. And I don't care how many things Trump says, we're going to do this, we're going to do that. The bottom line, it's really about the kingdom of God. Now, you mentioned earlier in the show, people want revival. Well, I've got a newsflash for people. You know what revival looks like, Danny? Doing what the apostles did. Revival denotes being revived. And the best defibrillation shock pedals you can get is getting filled with the Holy Ghost. You talk about people just shrug it off. They say, well, you know, I don't have it. So, oh, well, can't be that important. Or they just think of the Holy Spirit as you mentioned the word water boy. I think they have a very strange perception in their mind about the Holy Spirit, don't they? Yes. Well, the Holy Spirit is not being taught. 
in, in the counterfeit church, okay, the person of the Holy Spirit. And even the traditional Christian churches that believe in the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they still speak of the Holy Spirit very much as an it. It's still like an impersonal force. Right. And that's not any different than what the Jehovah's Witnesses would say about the Holy Spirit, that he's an impersonal force, that it's the Spirit of God. It's not a person. But what I teach which is scriptural, which comes from the scripture, is that he is a person and we are to have a personal relationship and be personally submitted to and in subjection to and surrender to this person of the Holy Spirit who is supposed to live inside me and rule and reign through me through his supernatural ministry and lordship. But here's the other thing, Satan, another doctrine of demons he's been able to bring into the contemporary churches, is that you can have the baptism of the Holy Spirit without the evidence of speaking in tongues right. and of supernatural manifestation. So this quells the people that were concerned about you know, thinking that they don't have this. You don't even hear this anymore because they've been lied to and told, oh, yes, they got it with the sinner's prayer package. And that's why I bring this out in my book, The Sinner's Prayer Gospel. I, I throw down the whole sinner's prayer gospel. And this is part of the package. The second part of my book is about the person of the Holy Spirit for a reason, because this is part of the package of what they sell to people. That, first of all, salvation can be gotten on credit with the spiritual credit card. You never really have to pay the premiums. You know, when the bills come, you don't have to pay. You can live any way you want, but because you made this commitment to God with words, that was registered in heaven, and you're on the rolls. It doesn't matter whether you keep your commitment to pay the price. We would, I say pay the price is a different way of saying take up the cross and follow Christ. All right? And the same with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit in this Gnostic church that we have uh, is preaching as if it's this invisible uh, force that won't bother you. I mean, there's no manifestation. There's no interruption or disruption of your carnal life. He's just there somewhere. You're, you know, mythologically, Gnostically taking that on as a belief, just as you're taking on that you're saved. You got saved because you said the sinner's prayer, uh, either at the altar or with the television evangelist or at a crusade or even in the privacy of your own bedroom, whatever the case may be, because you said the sinner's prayer. That's it. It's fixed. It's done. It's, it's a, you know, guaranteed. There's no repeal on that. And so preachers and, you know, God help these liars. God help them when they stand before Christ and they have to give an answer are lying to the people, telling the people that this thing in the book of Acts was just for the first church. They don't have to have that experience. They don't it's they don't have to walk out a supernatural Christianity because after all, our Christianity today in the contemporary church, it's not about the supernatural anyway. Every all the teaching is geared to natural things. It's all about how to get from God, how to get things of the earth from God's hand, get God to give you money, get God to give you health, get God to give you success. So why would I need? the supernatural endowment and empowerment of the Holy Spirit if all I'm looking for are natural things because they're not seeking spiritual power, because they're not seeking spiritual wisdom. They're just looking for a doctor, 
a Wall Street financial advisor. He's the one who's going to help them work out their ungodly marriage, even though they're living totally worldly and by all ungodly principles. God is somehow, again, going to mystically wave his wand and make their marriage all better. Okay, And this is the kind of stuff that's being, I don't even want to use the word preached. It's being life coached from these platforms in the contemporary church. But the Holy Spirit, it requires the death to self. And that's the line, just like I wrote in Sinner's Prayer Gospel, the new line in the sand, because everyone wants to act like they're so big and bold because they can talk about Jesus Christ. But the new line in the sand is the Holy Spirit, because that's who is carrying out the ministry of Jesus Christ on the earth today. Jesus Christ is not on the earth. He's at the right hand of the Father. We would all agree on that, right? Okay, so who is supernaturally energizing and bringing forth the ministry of Jesus Christ on the earth today? Well, it's the Holy Spirit. So that explains a lot of things, Sheila, because if the true ministry of Jesus Christ is coming through the Holy Spirit, and we've just talked about hardly anyone who claims to be a Christian having the Holy Spirit, then there's not much of his true ministry going on in the earth anymore, is there? In his name. But if the Holy Spirit is not the author, if he's not the Lord, if he's not empowering, if he's not energizing, if he's not bringing the revelation of Christ's death, burial, resurrection, everything else that has to do with Christ's person and his kingdom through inspired preaching and teaching by, by the servant love functions. If the Holy Spirit is not attending the word being preached with signs and wonders following, then where's the ministry of Christ? Where is it? There's a lot of counterfeit ministry. Look, this guy, this wolf in sheep's clothing that we talked about at the beginning. He is the chief representative of Christ. It's nice that he kissed that crippled child, but if he is the vicar of Christ, if he is the literal fleshly manifestation of Christ on earth, if his word is the word of God, even above the written scripture, ex cathedra, why is he not able to lay his hands upon that paralytic and that paralytic walks? Why? Because he's full of, you know what he's full of. Carnal man who has stolen, usurped the authority of Christ, but he doesn't really have the authority of Christ because he doesn't have the Holy Spirit. And that's the condition, sadly, of 99% of those who are claiming to be the Christian church. They don't have the Holy Spirit. They reject the Holy Spirit. They reject his person. They reject his ministry. They reject his lordship. And we have to come back to the place. And this is happening individually. You know, everyone's looking for this mass revival where these Constantinian church mausoleum houses are going to be filled with the Holy Spirit's presence. But it's happening on an individual level, Sheila. We're seeing it in our ministry, many people being baptized in the Holy Spirit, receiving the Holy Spirit for the first time after being, having been in the counterfeit church system for years, sometimes decades, getting baptized in water after decades of being in supposed Christian churches. This is where we're at. Well, it really is. And that's very well said, Danny, because that is really the bottom line. What did Jesus say to the apostle? Don't do anything 
until I send the Holy Spirit. They weren't able to do anything until the day of Pentecost. So we got to remember Acts is the only biblical book that really chronicles the history of the church immediately after Jesus' ascension. So, you know, that's a pretty valuable account. And I think that people really need to go back and get into their Bible, read the book of Acts, because that's normal Christianity, the book of Acts. Danny, you mentioned something really important, and I want to reiterate this to the listeners. You mentioned that you have baptisms taking place. For the newer listeners, I want, and especially the people that do not speak in tongues, they have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit. I get inquiries all the time. Tell our listeners how they can join your Wednesday night group. Well, if they'll go onto our website, godisnotreligious.net, and send us an email, I believe you do that through the Q&A page, the question and answer page. Send us an email and let us know that you'd like to be involved in that forum, and we will send it, send you out the info. Uh, Wednesday night is more of a koinonia fellowship, what we would understand as church, where the whole body comes on together and uh, ministers to one another. I am present there, uh, but I do not dominate the call. I'm there, you know, as as a servant love function to lift up the others and assist, and, and I'm there to answer questions and, you know, teach the people. Like uh, right now I'm officiating a lot of the baptisms, so to speak, uh, but the people are learning so that eventually they won't need me to do that. And one of the great things that's going on is we're having a lot of husbands baptizing their wives and vice versa. It's wonderful. Uh, So that's how people can get involved. Now, tonight, Wednesday being your call night, 7 to 9 Eastern time, you're having a baptism tonight. Now, tell our listeners, for those out there, of course, there's many that do not have the baptism of the Holy Spirit as evidenced by speaking in tongues. How can they join in that? And can they? Can any person randomly sign up for that? Yes, absolutely. You can come through the website, as I said. Just give your email through the Q&A page. Send in uh, the request. Say you'd like to be involved in the teleconference call on Wednesday night. And we will send you out an invite with the telephone number and the code. And uh, we just let the Holy Spirit lead. When we have water baptisms, and we know that people need to be baptized in water, which will be happening tonight again, we're going to have a couple of water baptisms, then that's scheduled. And many times that's accompanied with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, The Holy Spirit just comes and and does that whole work at one time. And if we have people on the line uh, that we know that need the baptism, and I feel that they're really ready to receive at that time, then we'll even go ahead and do that. We've had that happen on the call as well. Okay, but otherwise, we also have the prayer night on Tuesday night where they can also receive prayer to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And what's really exciting is that, I mean, it's as simple really as filling up a tub, isn't it? Now, I had a guy that said to me, well, I don't have anybody that can come in and assist me in this immersion. They can dunk their self if it really came down to it, can't they? Sure, sure. I mean, of course, it's wonderful to have at least one person there to agree with you. And I mean, we had a, a, a paraplegic about a month ago. And all he had, he wanted some family members there, and unfortunately, they couldn't be there. All he had was his health aid, the gentleman who takes care of him. I don't even think the guy was a a born-again believer. But he was there to do the physical dunking, okay, while I 
prayed with the brother and led him through it and everything. But look how God works. I mean, who knows how that man's life was touched, that health aid. You know, and yes, I mean, people are doing it in their pools. We've had several in their hot tubs outside, uh, several in their bathtubs. You know, this is not important. In India, we did it. We did baptisms in an oil drum and we would baptize them, immerse them in this oil drum. You know, God is, you know, we don't need all this official stuff. This all comes from that Roman understanding of church. We don't need all that. You know, look at Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch. The Ethiopian eunuch said, hey, what's stopping me from being baptized right now? And he said, well, pull over. Philip baptized him right there on the lake. So we got to get back. That's the book of Acts again, right? We got to get back to the simplicity and the genuineness and the sincerity of the gospel. Well, you couldn't have ended on a more perfect note. Danny, it's always a pleasure to have you on the program. I'm so thankful that you came on tonight. And I really want to encourage people to bookmark godisnotreligious.net and do get a copy of Danny's book, The Sinner's Prayer Gospel. Excellent book. There's many very good resources on his website. And I want to encourage people to shoot Danny an email, let him know you heard him on the show, and also get involved in this group. I know a lot of you out there Always email me. You ask where you can get some fellowship. That's really important. And this Koinonia fellowship that Danny is talking about, we're able to do that Tuesday and Wednesday night. I myself um, have now freed up Tuesday nights and working on Wednesday nights as well to free that up. So I really would like to also become a part of this because I think it's really important. And people are hungry, aren't they, Danny? Yes, they are. And we're excited to have you on with us, Sheila. That's going to be great. Well, I'm looking forward to it. Danny, thanks so much for coming back on the program and do come back and see us soon. Thank you, Sheila. It's been a blessing. Thank you very much. That was Dr. Danny Morano from godisnotreligious.net. Do bookmark his site and check out his handiwork there. And it's also linked on the bio at weekendvigilante.com for September 30th. And I really do encourage people that don't have fellowship to get involved with either Tuesday or Wednesday night group. Again, that's really exciting. And please, again, do shoot Danny an email if you're interested in getting water baptized and baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's exciting. I'm very excited about that. So kudos to Danny for organizing that. I just want to remind people that we have a conference coming up in Texas. That's Dallas, Texas, March 18th through the 20th, 2016. It's called Hear the Watchmen, and I believe that it is going to be a very powerful gathering, and I really believe God is going to move, and I'm very much looking forward to that. It's got a great lineup of speakers, Pastor David Langford, Coach Dave Dobmeyer, myself, the Hagmans, Paul McGuire, many others, and I really believe that that is going to be a fantastic event. So do get your tickets because they're selling fast. You want to be going to hearthewatchmen.com. And there'll be a direct link on my website by Friday, my web guy tells me. So that's really exciting. Please send me an email if you have read Green Gospel. I would like to hear what you think about my book. Very timely book, especially what just happened with the United Nations meeting last week with the Pope, the UN General Council, and what's coming up, the big show in Paris, COP21. That's going to be Very interesting to see how that plays out. And I really do want you 
to get this book. You need to be informed on what's going on. Don't assume that you know. And I really like what Dr. Tim Ball says. I really appreciated this. He said in her book, Green Gospel, Sheila Zelensky effectively demolishes most of what you think you know. So there you have it. Get the book. Go to greengospel.ca. Tomorrow on the program, I cannot wait. Augusto Perez with a very timely message. And on Friday, Pastor Stephen Anderson joins me. That's going to be a really good show. Thank you so much for tuning in today. See you tomorrow. Good night and God bless.